AI is the largest change to our civilization since the internet or the wheel. And I think I don't think most people see it yet, but we're heavily involved in AI and I'm like really really excited about what's happening. For us, we are we're confident that executive assistants will will still be needed and are still highly highly valuable because even if you string together different tools to help manage your email, manage your calendar, all that stuff, at the end of the day, founders come to us because they want a personalized one-on-one, someone who knows them, who knows their preferences, who knows how they operate, how they speak, who's in their life, all of that stuff, and can act in real time. There's definitely like tools that you can use to streamline your calendar and email, but at the end of the day, like if you knew the breadth of tasks and responsibilities that an assistant can really help you with in your personal and business life, there's not, at least anytime soon, there's not AI that's going to disrupt that. Welcome to the Grant Owen Podcast, where we explore the world of entrepreneurship. Join us as we dive into the nitty gritty of what it takes to start, grow, and scale a successful business. We're on a mission to share our experiences, failures, insights, and advice with others. Whether you're just starting out in your entrepreneurial journey or you're looking to take your business to the next level, tune in and join the conversation about what it takes to succeed in the world of business. Welcome to the Grant Owen Podcast. I appreciate you being here today. I have Ryan with me. I'm so excited for you to hear Ryan and his story and what he's doing. Um, But first, before we dive into the episode, I just want to ask you for one small favor. If this episode resonates with you, my goal is to impact one person, one person with this podcast. So if this resonates with you, please send it to one other person that you think would benefit from Ryan, his company, his story and this conversation because that would mean the world to me. That makes the investment of time worth it. That makes the investment of Ryan's time worth it. And our goal is to help people and help you get from point A to point B. So um, if this resonates, please do that. As always, I appreciate the likes. I appreciate the shares. I appreciate the comments. Uh, It means the world to me. Thank you for being here. Ryan, thank you for spending your time with me. What's up, Grant? Thank you. I'm excited. Let's do it. Let's dive in. So first off, when we were, were talking earlier, I was saying how I love your background. It's amazing. I love the fact that you have easily the best studio setup that I've had and I've had as a, as a guest of my show. So thank you for, for just bringing that level of authenticity to this because I think just the overall quality grade is like just drastically improving. I wanted to ask you because we're competing on the paintings in the background here. I, I, I want you to know, oh, I don't know if that's a photo or a painting. You're keeping it a secret. But I, what do you, how much do you think I spent for each one of these? Um, all right. So the one on the bottom, the one on the top. Yeah. Do you have kids? <laughs> yes, I have kids. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not an art curator. But maybe okay. it's they're either really they're either like pretty costly paintings or okay. your kids painted them and uh <laughs> and so I don't know which one. That's a that's a that's super fair. Yeah, both made by a three year old. So I just wanted to see if I could trick you, and I, nice. it didn't work. So <laughs> you caught on. The fact that no. you're actually the only other person. There was one other person that was like, "Do you have preschoolers?" And I was like, "Yeah, I got." <laughs> like that was definitely made by a preschooler. No, I was the I was the oldest of many children, and then I had a lot of cousins and nephews. So I've been around the block. I've been the oldest of every single 
you know, like I've, I've had babies around me all the time. I'm all, I'm oh, all yeah. about that. I get it. I know I that love, life. My sister it. has five cool. kids too, so yeah. Oh my word! Yeah, my sister just had her fifth, and I have another sister that has five, and then my other That's sister insane. has as two. It's too many kids. It's a literal to zoo. Yeah, it's too many. I don't even know their it's names at this point. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, so let's let's dive into the actual convo. So Ryan, you you run a business where essentially you connect. Uh, business owners with executive assistants. And I'm, I'm guessing it's not just business owners, it's just people that need executive assistants. So um, this term and this thought process of like the need for an EA, that was new to me until I read Dan Martell's book, Buy Back Your Time. He was the first person that was like, you probably should have someone on your team that is doing this stuff for you because you need to focus on higher value tasks. What you've, but you've been running this for a while. What led you to start it what led you to like see this as a passion of like, I want to solve this problem for business owners? It's funny because uh, this, the story actually starts a lot earlier than when I started my company. Um, so when I was younger, when I was a kid, my, my dad would always get on to me about, so we grew up in Tennessee. So I grew up like in the mountains. Um, and one of the tasks that I would have to do a lot of the times on the weekends was like clean up brush and like fallen trees and things like that in, in our front lawn. Yeah. And at the time we had like equipment, we had like a dune buggy and go-karts and stuff like this. So when I was a kid, I would just go to those big like bundles of sticks and logs and I'd wrap it in rope and then I would pull it behind my uh, go-kart to the yep. woods where it needed to be, you know, disposed of. And stuff like that, my dad was always getting on to me for, for like cutting, he would call it like cutting corners, right? And, um, and there's been a theme in my life around the same exact thing. So from, from as a kid, like I would build Legos and I would sit there and just create these uh, incredible contraptions and just spend hours and hours and hours doing this stuff. And I would win like... Uh, science fair awards and things like that when I was young. And then, I, and then I started playing around with like software and computers and tools and I became a systems engineer. So yep. as part of That's that. That's what I was going to say. I was like, all the stuff you're talking about sounds engineer. It sounds like computer programmer engineer vibe. Yeah, but I was never focused enough to actually like learn how to program, mm. like actually program and learn, you know, all the different science, like, uh, you know, physics and all that stuff. But, yeah. um, I went to work when I was like right out of college, I went to work for a company and became a, uh, a true systems engineer, uh, working on fulfillment lines, like the software and the automation behind fulfillment lines and all this stuff. And basically like from the moment that someone places an order until it gets to their doorstep, what are all the technical infrastructure involved? And so I've always thought about things in terms of systems. And then coincidentally enough, I was sent to the Philippines uh, in the you know, 2012, 13. And so I lived there for a while and my job was to train teams of people for this multi-billion dollar company that I was working for. And I learned that, because I remember when I left, the narrative around the Filipino people is that they're difficult to communicate with, they don't have good English skills, mm -hmm. they're not that qualified, they're not that educated, they can't do specialized skills, they're mostly able to help with like really low level stuff. And they were actually like the vernacular that people were using was like, they're a unit, you know, like really, really negative stuff. And so when I went and lived in the Philippines, and I was working with, uh, with 
this team of about 25 to 30 people, I realized how incredible um, and how skilled and gifted all of them are. And um, so I think that experience for me and living there and experiencing the culture and getting to know the people, it was eye-opening. It was definitely eye-opening. And I didn't do anything with that knowledge immediately. Like I left, came back to the States. I moved out to California, started a couple different companies. And it wasn't until I... um, so I, I moved into something called the Entrepreneur House. And if you Google it, and if you look in like Entrepreneur yep. Magazine, there's like, <laughs> I have, there's I have like questions features. about this. Yeah, there's yeah. so many so questions I'm, about it. <laughs> I moved into it, this house where it was this wild idea where all these founders get together and we all have different businesses. And, and I was the least successful person in that whole house, like for sure. And the idea is that we all come together, we share resources, mastermind, we have a chef, we've got uh, someone who... Uh, does our laundry, does the cleaning. We have wine nights and investors flying in from from uh, Silicon Valley and stuff like that to have these big, huge dinners where we you know connect and stuff like that. And so the process of being in close proximity to all of these founders, I started noticing, and this was in 2000, I moved in in 2018, started noticing this common trend of like all these people that were very successful, their personal lives were shit. <laughs> right. Like their, per- their personal lives were, they're stressed out. Yeah. They're worried about, uh, like basically just barely hanging on from a personal perspective, like on the business front when they would get on meetings, like put together, et cetera. Yeah. But like a lot of things slipping through the cracks, emails, their personal relationships, their health dates, doctor's appointments. Um, and so I started kind of connecting in my mind during that time while I was living there. I was like, uh, there's a system, there's a framework that I have experience with and that I think I could build and improve above and beyond what exists that would be really awesome. And mm-hmm. that's, how, that's how a system launch started. And we started before COVID. And uh, it was one of those things where the idea came to me, the system and the framework. I literally still to this day, somewhere, I think it's like right here, but I actually have a notebook. I found this the other day where I wrote out with my other entrepreneur friends. I wrote out November 11th, 2019. And we wrote out literally the, yeah, it's, it's right here. It's like, this is the, this was the MVP of the company, <laughs> right? I love it. And it was like, what do we need to do to be successful? And, and, he, and I said, yeah, I'm going to launch this in like three or four months. And my roommate, uh, Matt, was like, oh, no, you're going to launch in two weeks, November 11th, 2019. Here's what you're going to do. And that's how it all started. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and you were in this house as an entrepreneur for another business, for a different business? Before, yeah. So before I came into the e-house, I was actually, um, I had worked with my dad. Uh, he had, like his company back in 2017, um, 2015, 16, 17, his company like just went in the tank. He lost his business partner and um, he needed someone to come in and build systems and structure and like operational uh, stuff. And so I came in and randomly, and this is an entirely separate conversation, but randomly he and I got put on this journey to live in New York City for six months to take on the biggest project of our life. And it was just he and I and another partner. And we were, we were literally in New York. We had no money. Um, we had zero dollars. 
and we were just hopping from Airbnb to Airbnb. And this is like my 50 something year old dad at the time. Like he's a go getter. He's one of the best salesmen that I know. And we were basically pitching the MTA, the New York City MTA, <laughs> to go in and restore their entire subway system. So like the tile, cleaning it, getting the gum off the floor, because apparently Governor Como, when he was down in the subways during that time period, was like, this looks terrible and we're going to spend billions of dollars to improve it. And so my dad's, my dad's company, like we, we ended up going to New York and spending six months, like I, I've had, I've had literally like script writers and people that have, uh, that I've talked with about this to like make a movie. It was incredible. Like we lost it all. Then we gained it all. Then we got fired and it was just father oh, and son doing Lord. this whole thing. So that was what I was doing before, like when I came into the e-house and there was an opportunity for me to, to, uh, to, to launch something that was even more aligned with my like yeah. passion of saving yeah, time. Actually, that, that leads me to kind of a question because I'm thinking like it, it's based on what you're talking about and based on just like what I know about you so far, you're, you're at your core an operator. It sounds like you're, you're a systems person. So why, what's like the difference? Because usually when I talk to CEOs, when I talk to founders, there's, they're the type of people that are like, they're very visionary. They're very, uh, they're not very structured. They're not like they're regimented, but it's usually like at a higher level. And they're, they're almost like too entrepreneurial, right? It's just like most of the time it's like that creative mind. That's like, I just want to go do the cool stuff. And not many people are like, I really want to figure out the systems. I really want to figure out the details. I love, I love it. And you've made a business doing those things. So like, why, why did you opt for, I want to start my own thing and be the founder and be the CEO of it versus being like, I would love to be a COO and build the systems for a bunch of other people. It's like a really good question. And it's something that, uh, it's, uh, it's something that I don't normally get into when I have these discussions, but I think it's worth explaining. So, uh, when I was, when I was like eight years old, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And so this was like a really common diagnosis when, you know, back in the two thousands, like late nineties, two thousands, like everybody, you know, if you, if you struggled in school, but you were, you know, I was like, I was acing all my tests and stuff like that, but I struggled in school. Yeah. And then I would go home and I would spend all my time building all these things. And so my parents were like, okay, we need to throw them on medication. So I got put on medication. And so part of me is a, an operator, right? But the other part of me is the visionary, the idea factory, the head in the clouds, you know, all that stuff. And so really the operator side of me was born out of necessity because I had to learn how to develop systems. I had to learn how to develop frameworks for living my life because I was coping with this now it's a superpower, right? But at the time yeah. it was like considered a disability, right? It's like, I'm all over the place and my, my ideas are, you know, it's hard to make something come to fruition. I got tired of that. I'm like, I want to, I want to be really successful and I want to create something of meaning in the world. And so I have to develop a systems level uh, approach to everything I do. Mm -hmm. So I actually am both. Hmm. So wait, so would you say like you compensated with like hyper-discipline? Like, is it just like, when did you, was it medication yes. that helps that kind of click? And you're like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to set habits and I'm going to build structures for this because I know I need to. Or was it just kind of like a combination of things that happened at the same time where you were like, 
I need to do this? Because it sounds like no one's forcing you. It sounds like you're like, I want to do this myself. Well, actually, to be clear, I was only I was on medication until I went to college. And then when I went to college, I was like, this is this is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel good. Um, yeah. And, and, and initially it was really difficult. Like I, it was difficult to, to have coping mechanisms. But um, <laughs> yeah, like I developed those strategies during college to figure out how to stay focused and literally leveraging discipline. It's like going to the gym, um, yeah. learning how to get good sleep, surrounding myself with the right people, yeah. um, getting mentors. Mentors are huge. Coaches are huge. Yeah. Getting like, and I was doing all this on my own. Like I, when, when I left the house at 18, it was very much, you're on your own. And it's been like that since then. So, Are you into biohacking at all? 100%. Yeah, I, we're actually, uh, we're building right now off-site. We're building a, uh, we're going to be calling it the Founders Club. So it's this warehouse. It's kind of like the e-house was, right? But nobody's yeah. living there. So we have a warehouse and we're going to be doing cold plunge and lots of gym equipment and having trainers come in and sauna and all the, I'm, I'm all <laughs> into biohacking. I just took a cold shower before this, so yeah. (laughs) Nice. Are you? Do you have a? What is it? It's the like the aura ring, or do you prefer like what? What's your? How do you track your sleep? I got the Whoop. The Whoop. Do you love it? But that's not. That's not how I track my sleep. The Whoop is. I pay thirty dollars a month to not look at any of the data. I pay thirty dollars a month to just have a reminder that you need to be going to sleep. So this is just a trigger. That's it. (laughs) And it's and this is actually like the overarching theme of everything I do is what is the system that is gonna allow me to be successful in whatever area that I wanna be successful in. So like sleep for me is huge and I'm all, I'm big into sleep systems. It's like eye mask, red light, uh, temperature control bedding, no light, <laughs> uh, air filter. That's awesome. Whoop, That's awesome. You know, yeah. all that stuff. That's really cool. What, do you know, do you, you say you don't track the data but do you track your recovery at all? I don't need to at this point. Um, I had a I, there was a there was a time period where I would actually wake up and I would guess the percentage of my recovery, um, and I was getting I was getting within ten percentage points almost every single time. And so I started realizing awesome. that you can actually intuitively sense like it, that's the important part is like being able to intuitively sense how you're doing. Yeah. Um, and the same thing applies to any other discipline. Like when you're when you're you know I'm ha- I'm doing. Uh, weight training, like body transformation. I'm also uh, really focused on nutrition. So like you really need to develop the, the like body feel of, you know, am I training right? Like what's up with my body? What's, what, what is it like if my shoulder is hurting, like what's connected to my shoulder that might need some work. And I think yeah. that's kind of been like part of my, uh, part of my journey the last like, couple of years. Have you been focusing more on calisthenics? No, but I, I do love calisthenics. Um, I had a little sample of it when I was in Europe for a month, like earlier this year. My trainer, obviously I didn't have access to gyms. And so I'm like, I'm literally on the banks of the Dordogne River in France and I've got Olympic rings and I'm like hanging from a tree. <laughs> and I felt like I was like Rocky, you know, like, da, 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 you know, I'm like doing yeah, these things yeah. and people were looking at me and stuff. It was, it was fun, but like I have done a little bit of calisthenics and it is, it is incredible. Um, I think that's that's like actually calisthenics are really like peak human performance. Like when you yeah. can master calisthenics, it's like so many different muscle groups. Yeah, um, it's just your core. Your core is insane yeah. at that point. That's awesome. Do you um, do you train calisthenics? 
No, no, I don't. No. I don't. I mean, I, I, because I also like. I don't. It's not. It's not cool when a skinny guy does it. I'm pretty skinny, so when a skinny guy oh, does don't calisthenics, say that. I know, but it's like don't it just doesn't that. work. You want to be the big gymnast. You know what I'm talking about? Like the gymnast guys, the ones that are doing the ring. Like you know, like it, like the Olympics. Like the male gym, like the gymnast that's a male is like it. That's like peak. It's like. That is like yeah, they're they're alpha, they're alpha yeah. predator, like for oh, sure. Yeah. They have the it's most insane. gymnasts have the most uh, leverage per pound of of body weight yes. than yeah. you know than even control. bodybuilders. Yeah, yeah. the most control is crazy. So sorry, I, that's that's this completely tangential topic. Uh, I want to ask you more so because I I just had a video recently for one of my clients go viral, um, talking about how. Uh, he has all the people that he has working for him are, are from the Philippines. And he pays them from a range of like, you know, $5, $10 an hour, more, you know, depending on, depending on what they're doing. Um, and for them, he's saying like, that's the main driver of why his business has been successful. Um, the comment section for that video and the reason it went viral is because people hated him because he's saying, why are you only paying them 5 to $10 an hour? Um, Talk to me about that and talk to me about your perspective because you just t- you told me beforehand like when you were living in the Philippines You were saying man. These people are awesome. They're so intelligent. They're so like incredible. They're so hard-working and it's almost like there's a There's a disrespect because they're from a different country 100% yeah, I'll, I'll give you the best analogy that I can think of just offhand. So I was uh, I was in Switzerland for a few weeks um, in 2021 something like that and my fiance and I were there and we ordered a plate of fajitas at this Mexican restaurant in Switzerland, which don't ask us why we did that, but we were craving Mexican food. And this plate of fajitas was like, if, if this is the plate, the actual fajitas portion was like this, right? So it was like, it was like very small amount, very high quality, whatever, but like very small amount. And, and the, pl- the platter of fajitas was like $60 like 60 US dollars. And so um, for people living in Switzerland that are used to paying Swiss exchange rates and Swiss prices, the United States looks like fairly inexpensive. Like if you go to the, the Midwest of the United States, like it's, it's like cheap, right? So why, why is that okay? But not, you know, like in the Philippines, uh, I've lived there, like you can go out all day on a boat and have someone there with you fishing and helping you, uh, you know, set up a fire and have a whole meal and do a whole day excursion and it's like less than $30 US. So I think because it involves humans and because it involves work, people are really sensitive to that. But the reality is um, if you know about the difference in the um, cost of living, uh, if someone who's making five, six, seven, eight dollars an hour in the Philippines is living above middle class, and they have yeah. access. You know, in our, in our case, the benefit is that they have access to opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise. They have access to work with founders that are fucking awesome people, right? They're like really um, visionary thinkers that are not only you're not only getting paid to like earning a wage, but you're also learning from some of the best minds in the world. And so I think it's easy to just, it's, there's always gonna be haters. It's easy to, uh, to play that game of like, oh, well, we should pay them fairly. But it's not, if you truly know the underlying economics, it's, it doesn't, it's not like that. 
because I, I, the funny thing is, like, the comments were both in the range of, like, there's the, there's the socialist or, like, you know, like, almost like Marxist of, like, everyone should be paid equally based on whatever they're bringing to the table, the, the work they're doing, the value they're doing. And then there's the other side of, it, of people that were offended of saying, like, you should only hire American. You should only buy American. You should only hire American. You should be so pro-America. And outsource is taking away a job from someone that should have it, even if it costs $50,000 versus $5 an hour. Um, so talk to me about that, especially when it comes to executive assistance. Um, yeah, this, that's, a, that's a fair point. And I actually tell this to clients all the time that have this exact question. They're like, well, not that exact question, but any, any kind of questions around like, well, why, why do you hire from the Philippines and stuff like that? And yes, number one, it is more economically viable. It's more approachable for most founders who are, if you've got between two and 20 employees, what we offer needs to be affordable because uh, you can't afford to hire somebody, you know, an executive assistant in the States who's $100,000 a year. So that's one factor. But the second factor is actually more important, which is um, the culture of the United States is very individualistic. And the culture of countries like Latin America, the Philippines, Southeast Asia, uh, culturally, they're much more service oriented, right? And if I tried to run the same business in the United States, it would be very difficult. And the reason is, in the United States, when you're looking to hire an executive assistant, you're gonna come across one of two scenarios. The first is, you either find an executive assistant that is the quote unquote executive assistant who's fresh out of college, they're eager to learn, but you may only be able to keep them around for six months, like six months, maybe a year, and because it's a stepping stone opportunity for them until they get to the next thing. Uh, until they get to a real opportunity, right? And with the other scenario you run into is uh, you may have um, older people who have aged out of the profession. So they are executive admins that worked in corporate settings that maybe are a little less tech savvy. They're a little less used to the flow of the modern CEO, which is still evolving right now. Like as as we speak, like we, you and I are talking you know, halfway across the world and uh, that's the norm. So yeah. you really need, like I think the cultures that are very service oriented and very technical and stuff like that, like people in the Philippines and Latin America, it is a much better uh, service and it's a much better fit for those, uh, those cultures. So I, I, the other question I wanna ask you, because I was talking to another founder about this and uh, he, was, he was similar in, in terms of his uh, loving of systems optimization, buying systems, you know, tracking everything. And I was pitching him and saying, dude, having, having an executive assistant would be hugely valuable for you. But his argument back to me, and I was like, you can find someone, like uh, pretty much your ideal client, right? Uh, and I was, I was saying like, why don't you do this? Why don't you at least put this energy because it's, it's so valuable for you and it buys back so much of your time. And he was saying, man, I just, I would rather just use AI. I'd rather just build systems and leverage AI for my email, for, for my calendar, for, ev for everything, for like, uh, and even for communication, because frankly, like, e like my AI can, you know, write emails for me and can learn my tone. And I'm looking into figuring out how they can duplicate my voice so that I can stop doing phone calls. And I was like, what? That's crazy. But I, I see founders in particular, uh, like Silicon Valley types of people saying I would rather go this route. What's been your experience with that? And what's like the barrier? Because I think 
there's a place for both. I just, I just think that people tend to go to extremes if it has to be one or it has to be the other. Uh, so yeah, when, when AI, when GPT, actually even before GPT, we have been talking internally about like, what are the risks, uh, to our business, um, that are posed by AI becoming, you know, a big thing. Uh, and it is, AI is the, the, is the largest change to our civilization since like the internet or the wheel. And I think, I don't think most people see it yet, but we're heavily involved in AI and I'm like really, really excited about what's happening. And you can see how, um, how monumental it really is based off of like just the, the Sam Altman debacle that happened uh, last week, like 700 and something people were willing to, to, to sh go to a completely different company overnight. And so there's a yeah. lot of passion and there's a lot of like pent up, I wouldn't say pent up, but there's a lot of passion and a lot of um, motivation around moving civilization forward using AI. So for us, um, we are, we are confident that executive assistants will will still be needed and are still highly, highly valuable because even if you string together different tools to help manage your email, manage your calendar, all that stuff, at the end of the day, founders come to us because they want a personalized one-on-one, -on -one, someone who knows them, who knows their preferences, who knows how they operate, how they speak, who's in their life, all of that stuff, and can act in real time. And so, um, there's definitely like tools that you can use to streamline your calendar and email. But at the end of the day, like if you knew the breadth of um, tasks and responsibilities that an assistant can really help you with in your personal and business life, there's not, at least anytime soon, there's not AI that's going to disrupt that um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a meaningful way. Yeah. Actually, and I, I, I would actually go even further and probably say like, I, I would love to have an executive assistant be the one using those tools, be the one managing. That's those the tools. second be the one point. That's yeah. like, be the one that's like, like, cause it's still like, is it valuable time for you to be monitoring email? Even if it is automated, even if it is like, is it valuable time for you to oversee that versus delegating that and having someone else be a, a second person to you and your tone and your voice and your, and your mission. Um, I think there's an opportunity to probably leverage both at the same time. Uh, especially when it's like, especially considering the importance of, of yeah, I, I, leveraging both and having the assistant manage a lot. That, that just sounds so much more attractive to me. And I think it's, in reality, it's like, how do you optimize the people that are optimizing your life? Is that, isn't that just going to yeah. improve everything? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the answer too. That, that's what we came to at the end of all these discussions like a year ago when uh, GPT first started becoming really popular. It was like, we need to train our team and maybe even go so far as to training other people's teams and becoming like true AI specialists. So internally, we've built a lot of really awesome tools. Um, so this is just like a, a random example. But if you go on our website right now, uh, and this is like free tip for anybody that wants to build something like this. But if you go on our website right now, our lead magnet and the thing that we use to help people for free is... Um, they go in and they fill out some information about their company, their name, et cetera. And then we do a bunch of AI work on the back end to actually understand who they are, what are the tasks that they might have in a given day, 
uh, as a founder. And then we spit out all of those tasks, like on a weekly, daily, monthly basis. And then which ones could we come in as a, with an assistant and just like take off your plate? And so at the end of the report, it says like, hey, congrats, like 40% of this, you don't have to do anymore, right? And that's all done with AI in, in the background. Um, so we're heavy on this stuff. I think it's it's definitely the future. And if you're a company that isn't leveraging AI in, in some way right now, you're going to be... Uh, it's it's like back in the day when you had storefronts and you and people were like, well, do you have a website yet? It's like, no. You're gonna be you will you will be left behind in 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 most industries. So um, yeah, I, I think training our team and getting them up to speed on how to use AI and how to like speed up their workflows and improve the quality of the work they do with our clients has been really really important to us. Um, so yeah, the the lead magnet helps people to see what's possible and uh, open their eyes to like, oh, I didn't even know that an assistant could uh, yeah. set doctor's appointments for me. I didn't know yeah. that an assistant could, you know, take care of this stuff. All right, well, Ryan, so here's the deal. I know, I know too much about you, so I have to ask you questions because you let slip that you produce music. And I looked through like your old Instagram posts and I gotta say, I really, really like your music taste. I think like you had like Young the Giant. I heard I, you used to go to a bunch of concerts. I'm a huge music guy myself. I was I did my whole I did the whole artist thing for a while. What is your relationship to music now? Because I couldn't I was digging I couldn't find stuff that you've produced. Is music a new thing that you're doing now? Is it something you've been doing all throughout this entrepreneurial endeavor? Like, tell me about it. Yeah, so I grew up in Nashville actually. So yeah. um, I grew up in Music City. Mm -hmm. uh, so everywhere I looked, there was music. There would be like people that would come over with their guitar and you just play, you know, and, and, and make things. So music and instruments were everywhere around me. And so I've never known a life where that hasn't been the case. Um, and I, we grew up going to a lot of shows and going to a lot, like just, it was like a very common thing, like every weekend, you know, who's coming to town. And we were lucky because we had people from all over the world that would come to this place and we got to see some of the best talent, like folk, indie, rock. Uh, oddly enough, I don't listen to any country music because it, I just grew up around too much of it. Um, like I, we had, we had friends and stuff like that that were in the country music space and we saw what they would do like on their, uh, <clears throat> when they weren't recording music, and it's like you're not out in the f you're not out on a field right now bailing hay. You're not, you know. It's like it's it's all for you know. It's entertain. It's music is sometimes entertainment for them instead of you know speaking from the heart. But um, yeah, I've always just loved music. I think it's the I think it's the universal language of life. Yeah, I think same. that uh, no matter where you right. are in the world, like people, there's no. All right, so I want to ask you. I I know I'm gonna enter this again. I know you're into music. So first off, you mentioned before that you grew up in Nashville. Doesn't, that makes total sense. But I, I, I stalked you. And first off, all the stuff that you did with like all the pictures you have with your fiance, it's like, dude, this guy's got good music taste. You got Hozier in there. You got Young the Giant. You got some, like, and then I looked back even further and I was like, look at you. You're doing, like, you're, doing, you're doing promo for some shows. You're attending some shows. You're doing all this stuff. So like, what is your relationship to music? Because you have too nice of a setup in there, and I know you got kind of like a mini studio. So what's happening? What's your relationship with it? Yeah, so I had this realization um, a few years ago that 
music is human consciousness stored in space and time, right? When you go to a Fleetwood Mac album, right, and you play an old school track from Fleetwood Mac, does it not, is it not clear to you when and where? Uh, like, we're able to capture the emotions of people in a particular place and time. And I think it's, um, I think that music for a lot of people is, a form of entertainment and it's like a thing that is part of the background but I think that music is actually and I've, I've talked about this with friends I, I have a theory that music is actually one of our core survival uh, mechanisms as a species and I uh, I've got on my on my arm here I have an ape right I've got an ape with headphones on Right, and I, he's connected to this thing, and it's basically like human evolution through music in time. But the point is, think about think about music, right? Music, it, there, it's stories being told. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's like these vibrational waves that help people process their emotions, right? Uh, lowers stress, increases happiness, increases mating, right? Um, cautionary tales, things to look out for, things to help species survive more. And so if music, and you look at concerts, like music brings together a village. And I'm getting a kind of esoteric here, but like concerts and music is like a village and it's bonding and it's shared experience. And actually, if you look at all what's actually important for human survival, it's that stuff. So I, from, a, from a very like macro perspective, I think music is more important than uh, than the credit that we give it. And from a personal perspective, music has been the only thing that's ever uh, mattered to me, really. Um, and so because I've been so focused on entrepreneurship for the longest time that like that's that that indulges my um, my curiosity and it indulges my um, like analytical brain. But what really lights me up and gets me going is making music, playing music, listening to music, sharing music, DJing, things like that. And so um, I love to I love to co-produce um, with my friends and things like that. So I'm kind of like I am more Rick Rubin than I am uh, than I am, you know. Uh, someone like Pharrell, right? Like really technical producers or Timbaland. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm Rick Rubin. So I don't have, I don't have a lot of you the skills. Taste. I can, I can you have taste. You I have taste. Like, yeah. yeah. I can come in and say, Hey, this melody, uh, with a little bit of a change here and there just really like, you know, peaks my, like, I'm just like, it, it, it scratches an itch. And so I, that, that's my, that's been my philosophy with like, I have a, I have a close friend of mine. Um, you guys can, Look him up on Spotify. His name is Hyperbits. His real name is Sarek. Uh, and we have a track that we did together that's got 500,000 streams. And Love it. Um, so it's like there was a moment probably what last year where we were just we were we spent weeks building out this track and laying down the keys because I, I play keys and uh, stuff like that. So we, we spent weeks doing this and it was just this moment in time that I'll never forget where the song was finally finished and then we had this big uh, event where there was like 150 people. It was on a yacht 
and Sarek was going to be DJing and we were going to debut our song for the first time. And our, our spouses and like close friends had heard some samples of the song, but when it, when it first was released and we had these gigantic speakers and we're on the back of this yacht and it was me and Sarek standing next to each other. And like, I mean, it gave me chills. It was, it was the most incredible thing to see everybody in the crowd, like dancing and having the time. With it. It's giving me chills right now, actually. Oh, like, so cool. um, so that yeah. was, that was like peak, peak, yeah. peak life experience. And I, um, you know, I you know, actually, I'm curious though, like, would you think, so say, say you had, say the business was outsourced to a point where like you could, you know, it's running, you're moving to kind of like an investor level. You're at a point where you don't have to, you know, it's not relying on you and your energy to do it. Would you dedicate your energy then to just making music? Like, is that kind of like where you see, like, if you could spend the rest of your life doing something, is that what you'd want to do? Yeah, like when I do, uh, when I do breath work or uh, have any kind of like psychedelic experience, um, my, um, my inner core calls for you know, like making music. Um, so to answer your question, I think that the goal is, um, there's actually a guy in, in Dan Martell's group, uh, Mark Himian. Uh, he was a, he was a Silicon Valley, I think like a design executive. And he, um, he, uh, then became an artist and that like later in life. And I, I think that that's definitely on the horizon for me. Like, I love it you know, five, 10 years from now. So we'll see what it looks like. I just know that it's, it's, it could just be a hobby, right? But it's something that makes me feel alive. I love it. Well, and I, I have to agree with you. Like, I, I think someone calls it like, was it like the church of rock and roll? I think it's a, that's a Bono reference, but I, like it, it exists to talk about like your, you know, like the, the unifying experience that music has. I've felt it in a room of 10 people where it's like this intimate moment with you know whoever's mm. playing the song and like just like the people in the room and it's like okay i'm sharing something that feels unique here when they're good <laughs> and then i've also had that where it's like you're in a stadium right and i'm looking around and i'm like i am not like you know like there's so many people here that probably disagree about so many things so many things yeah like they like they people that are in this room probably hate each other on some level like there's all sides of the spectrum but when it comes to this and this song, we're all singing the same lyrics. We're all singing the same melody. We're all putting our fists in the air. We're all putting our hands in the air. We're all like pumped yeah. to be here and in this moment yeah. experiencing this, which I can't think of anything else. Like it's almost church. It's almost like a, it's almost a religious kind of moment. It is. I think like, I, I was, I that. was in the church. I was in the church. I mean, I came from the South. So like religion and church and something was so baked into our culture. And I think that, yeah my love for music probably stemmed from a lot of those like transformational, I'm not still in the church anymore, but like a lot of those, uh, you know, some of the most like moving transformational art, like they yeah. are naturally drawn to, um, you know, to worship music and stuff like that. And so, yeah, yeah it, I was, I was in, I was a part of that. And it's like yeah. such a part of our culture. It's like music moves you and music connects you and, um, how much uh, how much time yeah. do you spend like trying to discover new music? That's actually something that I think is a big problem that I would love to have someone solve. Um, I used to love the art of discovering music, keeping music, sharing music, 
Um, so that that's typically what a DJ does, right? And so a DJ, like that's, it's a pretty laborious process though. Um, and then there's like the hobbyist, which now it's just so hard to do that. Unless you're collecting vinyls, you've got Spotify where you can click yeah. through someone's entire life work in 10 seconds, which doesn't even give you the time to appreciate the work that went into it. And I think it's a huge problem. Like I, I still use uh, Pandora as a discovery engine um, for finding new music. And then I also have, you know, I think a great way to find music is to go watch live music and see who, you know, if you've got an artist that is playing, who's opening for them, right? It's, yep. there's a lot of like really great connections that happen there. Yeah. I w so what do you think about like, there's the, uh, you know, you kind of reference it, but there's, there's been a push towards, you know, singles, top songs, playlists. Are you like an album guy? Are you like, I want to listen to the whole album and just like receive it as, there's people that are like purists that are like, I want to go through it the way they intended me to go through it. And then there's people that are like, you know what, just put it on shuffle and let me just vibe through the whole sonic experience. For certain artists, definitely. Like I do that with artists that I really love. Um, I can go through, you know, like Fleet Foxes as an example. Like you don't go through and just pick a single Fleet Foxes song, right? Or uh, with any of the new stuff that Hosier's put out or um, people that I really, people that I know respect the, the art of music. I definitely listen through the whole album um, mm. and I'll listen through it a hundred times, you know, until I get tired of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, with electronic music though, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm into electronic music heavily i don't really find myself listening to the albums unless you're talking like rufus to soul and stuff like that i don't really listen to the albums it's it's interesting like the genre of music dictates yeah. if there's a story being told in the album which usually happens with certain genres definitely um but if it's like just music that you want to vibe to then that's um I, i'm just listening to like singles i have to say like i completely agree in regards to depending on the genre dictates like whether i'm going to listen in shuffle versus and it's you know like i actually it is true there are people that are like truly artists in terms of like how they approach it right whereas like the, you can tell there's a difference between that and like a pop where it's like every person's kind of putting their you know like half of it's written by some random other person and half of it's written intentionally by the person that's like you know like it's half the time the pop artist isn't even writing the song so for those i'm feeling a little bit less like I care about it, but um, it's not. I'm not just talking about it's like a like a Bonnie Vare. Like I'm like actually, you know, what's really funny is like I'm I'm starting to listen through like, you know, like like to Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick. I'm like that's not even like the genre of music that I generally listen to, but like I'm not shuffling through that. I'm like there's I, I can tell there's like an intention behind it, and I'm like let's let's just see what's happening. Let's like let's go through the whole process. I've lost sight of hip hop. I've lost sight of hip hop when I should. Like I used to be really into rap and hip hop like back in the back in the days when people would put mixtapes on Dat Piff and you would have to go and download off <laughs> like, like these, you know, it's like early days of Drake and stuff like that. And yeah. I'm like yep. I miss that. Now it's just like, oh hey, you see Drake got a new album. That's cool. I might listen to it. <laughs> Drake, oh, Drake put out two something. albums in the last month effectively, which is crazy. That's just that's the yeah, whole industry yeah. of it has completely yeah. changed in terms of like what's being prioritized. I, I actually still, I don't know, like I can't really say like I'm a rap, con like really like a rap listener. Like I try to listen to enough genres of enough music to understand what's happening, but yeah. to pretend like I'm like really a part of it and like really following through just isn't, that's just not the truth. So 
that's my little that, brother is he my little brother does uh so he collects he's got like lots of in money invested into vinyl records and he has a collection and is deep in the underground rap and hip-hop game and this person knows this person and this person came from this place and this is the inception story and yeah. he has this like uh, probably hundreds of vinyls and he's like this specific one i collected from this thing and he'll you know sleep overnight at a record uh shop to go for record store day and get like these exclusive things and i'm like dude you're crazy um but i think the the essence of like my approach to art is the same it's like i want to be around and consume art from people who give a shit and giving a shit looks like you know as an example this tattoo that's on my on my right arm this rose that's right here mm-hmm. is a photo so the, the tattoo artist he moved into a new home and there was a world-renowned rose horticulturist, a lady who lived at this house before. And these were the final roses that were in this bed, uh, this this garden, before they all like die off, right? And he took a photo of it and then literally it's saved forever like on my wrist. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, that has a story, it has meaning. And I think if you look at uh, this is this is a hot take too. Uh, a lot of people might not like me for this, but I think Harry Styles is a brilliant musician. I think oh, Harry Styles. On, that's not has, a hot take. Uh, that's not a hot take. Come on. That's not a hot take. Well, no, yeah, but, no. But he's it, he's yeah, one of those examples awesome. of like a yeah. true artist. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. To pretend, um, and he's done. He's also done both of the the sides. Of this. I mean, I won't. I won't. To be honest, like I'm. I kind of hate on people that hate on pop. Like, and I, I get it, right? I get, I get what you dislike. I get what people dislike, but like, it's an, there's an art to it too. There's an art, like there's an, the fact that you have to abide by such structure and still make it be distinct, it's difficult. It's difficult to be unique. Pop is just a different tribe. It's just a different tribe that 100%. you're uh, attracting, right? Like 100%, pop is, yeah. Pop and is, uh, yeah. And the type of people, like, I mean, like, Ryan Tedder's awesome. He's an incredible songwriter. You know, like it's just he—he—he's Who's written. That? Ryan Tedder. He's a—he's the lead singer of One Republic. But he oh wrote, yeah, 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 he yeah. wrote like all the number one hits. He wrote like Halo by Beyonce. He wrote like half of the Jonas Brothers popular songs nowadays. Like he wrote like wow. uh, all the stuff. He's if someone if there's a number one album, the number one song he he or John Bellion probably wrote it. And I'm just like, you know what, like. The fact that John Bellion can go do what he did on his album and everyone's like, man, what a purist, what an artist. And he can still go and write a Justin Bieber yeah. record. I'm like, dude, that, that takes skill. That, that's like, that's crazy hard. It's crazy hard to be able to play both sides and be like, yeah, I have my own little thing where I'm trying to be experimental and I'm also curating something that can be literally heard by every person in the world and be, you know, I think there was one point he had the top three songs on Billboard, which is just like, that's just impressive. So I, I appreciate the skill comes from both spectrums. I, I, if I had to hit where like where I feel most safe and most comfortable, I'm probably still listening to just like alt, alternative rock or like alt indie or that. That's just kind of like where I I like the bandy stuff. That's kind of like where I sit. It yeah. just makes me feel yeah. I it's what I, I used take to play. It's what I used to do. Person. I do. It's the people I try to copy. So it's just like that's yeah. where. 
That's where I lived, which everyone wants to be that. You know, like everyone wants to, wants to be old Coldplay. That's what everybody wants to be. If you're starting a band, you're like, I would yeah. love to be like, I would love to be like Russia Blood of the Head Coldplay. Like, and it's like, let's do it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think there's, a, I think there's a, an issue, though, that um, it's like I, I'm wondering where the, where the industry goes. Uh, right now, it's easier than ever to, to actually make music. It's harder than ever to actually, uh, even if you're a great musician, it's hard to actually uh, be compensated and rewarded and stuff like that. And so it's like, I just wonder where it's all going. I think the, like I, uh, I had a really incredible experience uh, when I was living in the entrepreneur house. I had met this singer songwriter um, online. His name is Jude Smith. You should go look him up. I know him. He's incredible. I know that guy. Yeah, he's, um, he's Okay, so Jude has the, he's got the, the voice of um, Justin Timberlake and the guitar skills of John Mayer, right? Um, and uh, so I have a video clip of him and I've posted it, I think, on my, on my page. But I've got a video clip of him where he's just so in the pocket and he's, he's literally in our house. We met online and then six months later, it's like, he's like, yeah, I was like, do you want to come out here? Like, we're going to set up like a, a private acoustic candlelit show. I'll promote it. I'll get all my friends. We had somebody from the Killers who came like here in San Diego. And it was one of these things where it was like so awesome and so special and so rare that I was kind of left like disillusioned afterwards. I'm like, how are these, how is, you know, like he, he was coming across uh, all the way from Nashville and he did a thing where he's like, Jude plays for gas or sings for gas. So it's like every time he's at a gas station, people would send requests like a $10 Venmo and he would like record a 30 second clip or whatever it is. And I'm like, it just shouldn't be that way. The people that move you and allow you to like express emotion and feel and all these things that are so valuable to society. Why is it that art is the thing that our society chose to devalue? It doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. Um, but there's, you know, there, uh, I, I, it is I'll what fight, it is, I guess. I, the only thing I could fight against that is just like I think I think it's never been easier to find a community, and to find people like you. We live in a place where it's like you just put something out that's quality, and you do it for a long enough period of time, and people are going to find you. At first, it might not be the right people, and it might take longer than you want it to be. But if you're if what you're putting out is actually good, and you're just consistent to publicize it, like. The issue is that you just can't, there's no longer a time where you can just put out a song and have it just exist, and then people are going to be uproariously affectionate towards you, and you're going to they're like, oh my goodness, where like the only time time that happened was with that guy, um, old man from Richmond, that guy. Um, but even then, that was a marketing stunt, and you know, like that was a little bit of it was intentional. Uh, yeah, like yes, he was a genuine guy. Yes, it was kind of underground, but like. No one just that doesn't just happen. There's a lot of things that that have to happen in order for that just to happen. So, in the same sense, like, yeah, I just I do hope that artists more often, like, I have friends where I'm just like, dude, just put the song out, put out a, a song, yeah. and put out a video every day. And if it's good and the videos are good, it's going to work. If it sucks, move on to the next one, try it again. But I think there's a lot of people that are like, when we talk about art, you talk about being a purist, you're like, this is it. This is the thing. And, and if anything sifts out any goodness from it, it's no longer it. And I'm like, that's just, 
that's one of the reasons why I haven't I haven't pursued art to the degree that I want to is because like I'm I uh, operate at such a high level like and I have such high expectations that my you know and but now I understand just like any journey it's a process of learning it's a process yeah. of trying and and like my my journey in the gym is a great example of like yeah. there was this in this last year I have been I've maybe missed it twice but like every single day no matter how I feel no matter how much sleep I've gotten no matter how I you know feel about actually going and working out if I've lost sight of the goal or whatever it is I just go do it and the, and the results for me have been incredible and I think like the same thing now that I've learned that that discipline that was my goal last year is like really understanding the true meaning of discipline you can apply that to other areas, and I think like successful artists are doing the same thing. Like I, uh, I've talked with several people, and I and I know their their personal lives, and it's like they just show up and they do and they do and they do and they do. Hmm. I love that. All right, well, so I want to I want to transition to this last section. Um, I, I saw some posts that you had, and uh, something that stuck out to me is so like you you speak very affectionately about your dad, and for me, I think that's rare. Um, I interact with a lot of people growing up and a lot of people, you know, my age and older and their relationship with their dad in particular, almost always negative at best. It's like, you know, I, I respected what he did or, you know, I, I can tell he tried and I'm, uh, in that rare exception where I'm like, my dad was my best man. He, you know, is the best person I've ever known. Um, and like, he's still to this day the person I respect the most and I haven't interacted with someone that has any sort of close level of affection where it's like yeah like, like you're talking about how you you worked you, you spent six months with your dad on a business and you saw you know you're like you saw his, him grinding at 53 and that's at a different tier and you just had that experience with him and then still you know even so like you're like there's so much affection that you had tell me about your relationship and and What's, you know, uh, there, every relationship has ups and downs. Every relationship has negatives. And normally that dynamic is awful, especially for entrepreneurs, especially for go-getters. What, like, what, what's been part of it that you respect about your dad and respect about, you know, who he is as a person? Well, I think for, I think for uh, context, like, I have two dads. I grew up, actually, from, uh, from age 1 to 18 with a stepdad. And I lived in Tennessee, and he raised me, took care of me. And then on my 18th birthday, while I was in high school, at lunch, I got a call from a guy that I didn't know. And I knew that he existed, but, and I would, and I had received these, like, random gifts when I was, like, four or five years old, where, like, the gift, it was, like, a riddle I had to solve. It was, like, cryptic message that I had to figure out. I was, like, this is fucking awesome. Like, who is this guy? I didn't say that when I was five. Um... I was like, goo goo gaga, you know? Yeah. But uh, 18 years old, I get a call from this guy, and um, and it was basically like, hey, it's your 18th birthday, and I haven't been able to be a part of your life, you know, like legally up until now, but I want to, you know, yada, yada, yada. He wanted to get to know me. We wanted to talk and all this stuff. And it took me years to actually, like, uh, develop any level of trust. My relationship with my stepdad was and still is strained, and it's like uh, he, he was a great provider and a, and a, 
um, someone who always made sure that we were always taken care of and he was very disciplined and always make sure that we were very disciplined and all this stuff. Um, but the side of our relationship where there's love and um, understanding and things like that was always something that was challenging. So in walks this guy at 18 who uh, immediately accepts me for who I am and skipped past a lot of the, you know, the hard stuff, right? But I'm accepted for who I am. I'm trusted. I belong. I'm loved unconditionally. Um, and it, and it absolutely changed my life. Like, hmm. uh, I would not be, I would not be here at all if, if it weren't for him. And, uh, our relationship has been 99.9% just an incredible ride, an incredible journey. It's like, we've, we've started businesses together. We have, uh, we have seen each other's absolute bottom. Like when we were in New York and we were starting this project, like we had nothing left. We, we were, you know, it was like the house was uh, mm -hmm. up for potential foreclosure in a month. You know, the cars were being taken away. Uh, and, and we're, you know, he lives a very good life and has a nice home and has, you know, all this stuff. And my, my brother was in a private school and all this stuff and all that stuff was at risk. And I've never seen a, I've never seen a person fight so hard for, uh, for his family like I have with him. And it was so, it was just like so inspiring to see, like literally lost it all, had nothing left. Uh, was down to last dollars, last bit of hope. Like, you know, I we, I would hear him on the phone crying, you know, like, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And that same year, you know, we we do a project and, and it's like $1.4 million, right? And we're like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're making it together. And we're like, I'm watching, I, there, there was actually a point in New York where we were about to leave the city. It was like four months in. We couldn't close the deal down. We couldn't get an insurance policy that would allow us to actually fulfill the work, right? And we had spent all this time and energy and money trying to make all this happen. And it was like such a, it was like literally if I had a, if I had a camera, I, I wish I could have captured it. Like we were zipping up our bags and we were about to leave to fly back to our individual states. And all of a sudden he gets a phone call. And I didn't hear that he got a phone call, but all I heard was like downstairs uh, in the, the flat that we were staying in downstairs, I just hear him going, fuck yes, fuck yes, let's go. You're like screaming, right? And it was the call from the, uh, the MTA that basically said like, we got the award and it was, and we could start doing it. And it was like, just the most gut wrenching, happiest, highest moments of my life. We're down in these tunnels and we had to go through railroad training and we're wearing orange jumpsuits and we've got trains whizzing by us. And we're like doing this as a, you know, father and son. So there's been a lot of really incredible moments where we built uh, these incredible bonds and we've been through hard things, you know, there's been like, we made a lot of money. It's like, how do you, what, what do you do with that? And how do you treat, you know, who gets what and all this stuff. And the one thing that he's always been really great at is just communication. And he, there's never, he won't let a day go by, you know, where if there's an issue that needs to be talked about, it's like, Hey, there's this issue and I know it's here and I'm sorry. And you know, whatever. So yeah, I love my dad. He's an awesome guy. And, uh, I'm excited to, you know, to have the rest of my life to, uh, I love both my dads. They're just different, you know? Yeah. Well, tell me about that. Cause I think like, do you think that 
you were at all benefited by the fact that your dad was not in your life for those 18 years? Do you think that that, like, the fact that you almost 100%. became a man without him, and so you could then establish this is our new relationship yeah. from, like, point zero. Do you think that was, like, a benefit? Everything is a benefit, right? Like, the my whole makeup, my, my, my makeup as a human comes from all the experiences that I've had. And so, like, yeah, there's been some things that I've had to go through therapy and, and uh, un- uh, unlearn about myself and unlearn about the world. And there's been things that I'm so grateful for, you know, my first 18 years of life that, uh, like I learned how to be savvy and I learned how to think on my toes and do things for myself. I mean, when I was, I was having to pay for all my own stuff when I was like, you know, as soon as I turned 18 and like, I, I had to pay my way through college and I had to learn how to get jobs to fund my way through school. And, so all that stuff, those experiences, whether they were intentional on his end or not, uh, they have, f- you know, formed me into who I am now. And then enter dad number two, right? And uh, you you layer in the emotional component, you layer in the love, and you layer in the uh, the incredible support and trust. And it's like, yeah, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, I really am. And I'm so excited. To, that, that that's the case and it's, I'm stoked for you too like the having a having a uh, and, and my mom's amazing too so like I've got I, I got really really lucky and that story is something that I wouldn't change at all hmm. Hmm. yeah I mean I it's making me think like there's there's such an importance uh, uniquely to paternal care I think maternal like I think every relationship every person needs both maternal and paternal influences it doesn't necessarily have to be a dad and mom, but to pretend like it's not lacking unless you have both in there is so interesting to me because I think like it's just so apparent. And hearing what you're saying, like no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> That's dumb. Uh, but like I, I have a, I have a son, right? And so hearing what you just said, uh, you know, shapes my perspective a little bit because I have my relationship with my dad and I have my perspective, and a lot of times people start to raise their kids and they're like, I want to do the exact opposite of whatever my dad did. And yeah, uh, I'm, I, I'm trying to be like, I like a lot of times I'm like, I would love to be half the man that my dad was. And I think there's an element to it where it's like, there's so much we don't control. And I think what your story is kind mm-hmm. of affirming that like there's benefits to, to whatever happens because no matter what you're made up as you're made up and you can either be a victim to it or you can be, you know, you can you can t- see it as a gift. I love that you've seen it as a gift and you've cherished kind of like this second part of your life um, as as these influences are coming in. Um, what you know, so like now now that you're you know you're engaged, you're looking to get married. What does legacy mean to you when it comes to the business? When it comes to your family? When it comes to your like you know like you legacy. you. I know it's a big word, but like we talk so much about like you're talking about art. You're talking about, you know, like music is something that lasts throughout time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times entrepreneurs are like, you know, they we think these big things. We think like, what is what is our meaning? What is our purpose? Who are we helping? How can we help those people more? What does that look like for you? What do you what would you know, what's what's a successful life in your eyes? whether it's an exit in this or whether it's a continuation of it. Success for me in my life is defined for me as uh, 
my ability to to be a portal to the world for all the ones that I love, right? So for me, uh, when I say a portal to the world, I mean physically, like travel, being able to see, experience, uh, interact with other cultures and people and learn. It's also, you know, a portal to like love and abundance and uh, empowerment and all that stuff. So my goal is to, to, and that's, that's why entrepreneurship is so attractive because it's like the best way to develop those, um, you know, obviously financially is important, but like to develop your ability to relate to other people and your ability to uh, learn things and develop as a person. And it's like the best personal development, uh, workshop (laughs) out there. Um, but legacy, legacy doesn't really like, I think there's a lot of ego attached to legacy. It's like, oh, I want to build a legacy. And it's like, I don't really give a shit about legacy, honestly. What matters to me is I think I think that our um, the only real impact I have is like my consciousness will be, for better or for worse, stored in parts of me will be stored in who, you know, my kids and, and the people that I love and the people that I'm surrounded by, right? And so... My legacy is how do I show up in the world on a day-to-day basis and, and what do I want to stick and do I want to create more trauma? Do I want to create more problems? Do I want to uh, create more sadness and pain and hurt? Well, then that's an option, right? Do I want to create more love and abundance and acceptance and um, and empowerment and all that stuff? Like, I think that's legacy. Like, I want my children to, you know, to... Uh, take the best parts of me and run with them and get rid of the ones that, that aren't, that don't serve them. Mm. That's, that's what I think of when I think of legacy. Hmm. I think it's powerful. That's a good point. And I think it's a good point. That's all that matters. To, it's not. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, to your point, like I, I think I agree with you that like it doesn't really exist because the, if you scope back, you know, like we don't think about the, the most powerful people a thousand years ago, maybe they're a movie, <laughs> you know, but they're, they're not going to be anything more than that. Um, and even that goes to 50 years ago. You know, like I can't name every president and we're supposed to say the president's the most powerful position in the United States. You know, so it's like, is it? Is it really y- important? Yuval Harari did a great job with this. Um, if you ever read Sapiens, he said like, he said, you know, 2,000 years ago, the Sumerians or Suma- Somalians, I think it was Somalians, Somalians ruled the world, right? Most yeah. powerful army. And historians on this podcast are going to crush me, but I'm using this as an analogy, right? <laughs> Somalians are the best or the most powerful and you know, whatever. And it's like, uh, 2000 years later, can you name a single Somalian? It's like, yeah. no, yeah. yeah, you know, so ultimately my dad actually called me the other day. Um, and he was, uh, he was kind of joking around. It was like, he was sleepy and it was right before bed. And he was like, he's like, man, He's like, we're all just dust in the wind. It's like, we're all, he's like, cool. you're doing cool stuff. Great. Like you got a business, you're getting married. Cool. But like, none of it really matters. It's like, we're all just, you're going to die. We're going to yeah. die. And and not to be like, you know, uh, no, not to that, be though. morose, it. but yeah. it, it's, it is, I genuinely believe that it's true. It's like, we can do yeah. what we can while we're alive. And, um, people put so much importance into these yeah. things that ultimately don't matter uh, yesterday, yesterday, um, Warren Buffett's partner in Berkshire Hathaway, one of the you know wealthiest, is multi multi billionaire, died. Right? Yeah. I forgot about it when I woke up this morning. <laughs> yeah. Right. How um, yeah? How often do you think about Queen you know, Elizabeth? Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth 
she died. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's the, we have to think about things like that. And so I'm constantly, I am personally constantly battling between like, why do I give a shit about anything? And, mm. you know, like, well, I, there is some meaning, you know, there's some meaning to things. Uh, so I'm still learning how to and what to assign meaning to in my life. But uh, I think love and I think connection and I think, um, you know, like doing what you love and doing it for other people, I think is pretty important. But mm. that probably will shift over time. I know when you have kids, apparently everything changes and your <laughs> world and your worldview changes. I just have Some, a dog. so Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, I will say like, I, I think I completely agree with you because if you have a certain perspective, the fact that nothing really matters is a little bit freeing. Right, because it means that, like, yep, I have the opportunity to create what I want to create, and it's okay if it burns, but I'm enjoying the process of creating it. Like that's yeah, that can be a that can be a depressing thought, right? Like super nihilistic, or it can just be like, you know what, I'm at peace with that. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I I haven't heard that answer from many other people. I think you've. It sounds like you've watched enough. You've watched a decent amount of Alex Ramosi, so we probably we're probably influenced well, by the same. people. I mean, maybe Hormozzi should watch some of my content. I think. Yeah, maybe. maybe. We both we both been on the same journey. We both I been on the it. same journey at the same time. It's like I've gone to the depths of nothing matters, and then mm -hmm. you know now it's like, well, let's recalibrate because there are things that really do matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love but it. Yeah, just live your life. <laughs> well, well, Ryan, I appreciate your time, man. I, I, I'm, I'm glad we, we started in a, you know, kind of like a business tactical state, and then we ended in this. <laughs> didn't expect it to take this turn, but we ended in this, this cool uh, philosophical pl place. Um, I, I hope that's helpful for people that hear it. And um, can you just, you know, where can people find you if people want to work with you? What can people do? How can people connect with you to, to, to find out more about what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so my personal Instagram, Ryan Brazell. Uh, B-R-A-Z-Z-E-L-L. -L. A lot of my content and stuff goes through there. Our website for Assistant Launch is www.assistantlaunch.com and you can reach out on either of those platforms. Um, and uh, go listen to Another Life by Hyperbits on Spotify. And you can <laughs> hear a little bit of my musical influence. Um, or email me, ryan at assistantlaunch.com. Those love are the best it. places to reach. Love it, reach love me. it. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll, be, I'll I'll spend your stuff. I'm excited. I'm excited to listen to it. We'll have we'll have links in the show notes for anybody else that wants to connect with it. So, Ryan, thanks for thanks for being here, and everyone, thanks for listening. If you got value, share it with one person. I appreciate you. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>